Hi, welcome to Wired Souls, where we discuss about the intersection between art and tech. My name is Miguel, musician, and also have a big passion for communication and tech. My colleague Joe, entrepreneur in the tech industry and ex-venture capitalist. And finally, Fel, digital artist and mad hacker scientist. We're here to guide you through the ever-changing waves of how creators make amazing art through technology. Without further ado, let's get started. Hello, how are you guys doing? Feeling amazing. I just had my second Ouya of the day. I just realized it was actually like a stimulating drink. I thought it was just like flavored water. And then it, I didn't know why I felt like so crazy <laughs> energized. But yeah, no, it's great. I mean, Ouya is amazing. I feel I feel energized like never. Yeah, me too. I'm on my second one as well. I'm on my third one. And yeah, indeed, we were like screaming in the studio <laughs> two minutes ago. <laughs> An energetic podcast. <laughs> Thanks to Ouya. So thank you to Ouya. Yes, so welcome, welcome back to the second episode today. We're super happy to to host um, that episode. Um, so in this podcast, uh, we always talk about a product that we find very exciting to start. Then after that, we talk about uh, an artist, maybe a group of artists that we find inspiring. Um, and then we finish with um, something from the news uh, that we find interesting and probably that you you might find interesting. A quick note to thank our sponsor, Bloom for making this show possible. Bloom is building a social commerce app that allows leading creators to design any products they want using a proprietary GenAI powered tool. Designs that get the most traction on the app are sent to Prod in a highly vetted network of more than a thousand manufacturers working with brands like Nike, LVMH, Gucci, and Ralph Lauren. Bloom believes that creators, influencers, and artists should not merely be passive endorsers of other companies' products, but instead active collaborators in the product development process. Social commerce has lost its authenticity, and Bloom's mission is to bring it back by allowing creators to make real money along the way. Bloom is a venture capital-backed business supported by some of the world's best investors, having backed companies like Facebook, Etsy, Slack, and Dropbox. If you are a creator and have ideas of unique products you want to bring to life, reach out to the Bloom team on their Instagram page at letsbloom underscore art and help them build a future where tomorrow's largest brands are built by creators, not corporations. So let's start with the product of the day. Yeah. Um, so the goal with this one is to uh, share a new product that You know, we found actually this one, we cheated a little bit. It's something we've known for, uh, you know, quite a while now, but it's so amazing that we had to do our first kind of deep dive on it. Uh, so many things that creator can do with it. It's open to anyone. It's free. Uh, so we thought we should kind of clearly bring it up front. We're talking about a tool called Invoke AI. Uh, so what is Invoke AI? Invoke AI is basically a web UI, so an interface for creators to go on and go beyond just prompting a model to generate an image, but actually be able to edit the image and do a lot of the advanced stuff that people might have seen in, in demos from Adobe Firefly. Um, so trying to tie it back to an example and something people know and, and probably saw on IG, Twitter, TikTok. But Adobe Firefly released an amazing tool where you can you know, prompt an image and actually edit that image, do some alt painting where you expand the image and do a lot of cool editing stuff. Uh, obviously, you need to pay for that license. Uh, you know, Adobe being kind of behind Photoshop and the entire, you know, Firefly new AI element that they've introduced is actually powered by a collaboration with uh, the now $1 trillion uh, value company, NVIDIA, which is an amazing story. But yeah, anyway, so Invoke AI just like Stable Diffusion, is fully open source. People can go on GitHub and actually download it and start to play with it for free. Uh, it is meant to be light, uh, so it takes, you know, uh, four gigabyte uh, of RAM, uh, random access memory on your computer, which means most modern computers should be able to run it. Uh, most computers now are, you know, 8, 16, 24 kind of uh, gigabyte of, of RAM capacity. Um And you can download it and use it if you have Linux, Windows, Mac. So pretty much anyone can actually kind of use it. And so what is it exactly? Why do creators care? You know, creators trying to stay on top of the AI and just technology world. What is exciting about it? We kind of hinted to it. First, you have all the basic stuff that as a creator, you've 
been accustomed to with tools like Midjourney. And so you can do text to image, image to image. But where it becomes super exciting is all the editing portion, as I've said, and there's kind of two key parts into that. So the first one is on the editing, editing side, there's a lot of very cool features where you can play with parameters to actually uh, you know, make the image closer or further away to the text prompt that you've given. So you kind of increase the leeway of creativity that you enable the model to take. Uh, which is super cool. Then you can do in-painting, which is great. So you can select a specific area in your picture and do a prompt specifically for that. You can do out-painting, which is very cool, where you actually expand an image uh, with a specific prompt to actually go from one image to actually an actual scene, uh, which is very cool to do. And then the second piece, which I think is great, is what they call the unified canvas. So basically, you go from having like a prompt that gives you an image to having an entire world being built of multiple prompts for multiple images that you can place on top of a big kind of canvas, uh, which is great. So those are kind of the two, I would say, main elements that makes it interesting for creators is you go from doing an image to building a scene and having a very advanced kind of editing UI that's free, that's open source, that can run on basically any machine. Um, so that's super cool. The big downside of it, um, is that you need to have a good computer to run it. So it's not accessible on the web uh, and, and, you know, it's not cloud-based where it goes fast and you use the GPUs and just the computing capabilities uh, from a third-party provider. It's actually how strong is your machine. Um, so if you are, uh, you know, Phil, I think you can comment on it being like a digital artist, most digital artists do have good machines. Yeah, yeah. You, I mean, if you're already making art with the various software, I think you already have what it takes to, to run that. And the main advantage is that it's, it runs on your computer, so you don't need to have a subscription for it, like a Midjourney or other tools out there. Yeah. And what is it that you can do with that new tool that you couldn't do before? Uh, well, I think the big one is the unified canvas. I think it's a, it's a super fun way to, to actually play with your prompts and to actually scatter them and try to you know, bring them into relations and compose uh -huh. them together. So for me, like the unified, ca the unified canvas feels a bit like a, a workbench for, for digital artists. Mm. So it's just a digital playground where you can dump all the, the things that you generate and you can like, uh, you know, pick and choose, choose an element from one image and bring them into this image and then expand on it. And I think it's a really cool way to, to work in a, a digital or virtual space on your, in a 2D virtual space, let's say on your, on your computer. Very cool. And, uh, you know, some new things as well, uh, because it's been moving very fast. Yeah. It's an open source project, meaning, you know, lots of people working on it. Um, for context, uh, they have an amazing Discord for any creator that starts to play with Invoke AI. Mm -hmm. First thing you need to do is go on their Discord, uh, ask questions, find the channels that are more relevant to you. Super active, 18,000 people in it. Uh, spent a bunch of time in it and learned about Invoke AI, but also discovered tons of other open source projects that people are looking to, which is great. Uh, you, some of which we're going to talk about in this show in the <laughs> next few sessions for sure. Uh, some very exciting stuff. Uh, and they've done some pretty cool updates. So, you know, lots of updates, more technical ones to make the system faster, uh, reducing the memory footprint. So just like more efficient mm -hmm. because th this is the first category of update but for what you know creators should actually really care about uh the ui is a little bit slicker so that's cool but the really cool part of the latest update which were released in february uh, is actually that now you can uh, actually build a unified canvas and start to, to do prompt on three different set of stable diffusion models that you might have decided to train yourself so taking a step back for everyone to kind of hear and understand what i mean is when you do a prompt on Midjourney, you start from the Midjourney data set. And then you're going to have a different output based on the prompt that you've given. But you really start from the same base of training pictures. Everyone's starting from the same place, and the creative aspect is really happening at the prompt level. This is how Midjourney works. This is how um, DALI works. Now, if you think about stable diffusion, which is open source, but also enables you to add data on top of the model that you're using, on top of their base model, you can actually personalize the model that you're using to different use cases. Uh, so when I think about Bloom as a business, we actually start from the stable diffusion model, but we're doing lots of training 
to make it tailored to specific fashion use case based on, you know, the catalogs of some of our brand partners. It becomes a very unique model. And you can have models that are very unique for different kind of purpose. So when we think about an artist, you can train a stable diffusion on some of your art, some specific parts of your art, if you want to have like different types of models for different aspects of your art. So you can have a lot of different cool models. And actually a cool site uh, for creators to go and check out is Leonardo AI, where you have a cloud accessible version, so web accessible version of a tool that's somewhat similar, pretty similar to uh, Invoke AI, but also a lots of different models that people have built, people have trained, you can play with them. There's um, stuff like Open Journey, which is an open version of MidJourney, uh, which is cool. So now, what I taking a step back, going back to Invoke AI, instead of starting and doing prompt from the base stable diffusion model, uh, you know, first one uh, was 1.4, now it's 2.0, you can actually input your own different models, three different models to start to build unified scenes. So if we took your example, Fail, you can actually train a model on your art, have a model trained on Egyptian architecture, and then with those two different models, build a scene that will use some of your artistic element and put them into a very specific setup that you've been kind of training a model for. Uh, so it's very cool. It's scene building, it's editing functionalities, and you can actually use different types of models in the same kind of canvas. All of this wrapped into perhaps the most intuitive uh, UI, at you know for sure the most intuitive open source UI uh, that you can find you know kind of online. So very very cool tool for anyone looking to kind of push further uh, their capabilities when it comes to. Uh, Creating cool images with AI. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. What, what, what about the result? Um, do you guys have any comments about the way the image, the images come? Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, my initial take is with my machine, uh, it's okay. Yeah. Uh, if you take a computer that doesn't have GPUs. Yeah. It's long. Uh, it's long. How long? It can take you know up to ten minutes uh, sometimes mm-hmm. to load oh. the image, but then once you have it, all the editing functionalities, which are you know the cool aspect of it, then it's much faster. Um, so it really depends. If you have the good machine for it, it's really cool. Um, and to me, tools like this are gonna move uh, in the cloud. People are gonna be able to access it, you know, via their browser. The only thing to think about is once it's in the cloud. It's a company that needs to, or it's a, someone needs to pay for the GPU it uses to process the image. And, you know, it's going to be the end user most of the time, which means you'll need to pay, right? To generate your images, you might have like a few credits at first, but at the end, you'll need to pay. Someone will need to pay. And we know it's expensive. It's super expensive to run GPUs. Um, it's the new gold. GPUs is the new gold. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like the images, like the quality of it is very, contingent on the quality of the model that you've used and the quality of your prompt. Our audience, you know, lots of digital artists in there having used AI, they they know what it is. It's not easy to write a very good prompt, uh, mm-hmm. to be consistent with your prompts, to have prompts that create a universe, not only yeah. one image. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I think if you're willing to spend the time uh, with the tool, like Invokia is a, is a really good option because you can really like tailor it to your need. You can, you, you can get to know it to a point where you... You're feeling like a custom, or you, you can really well. The, the web UI actually exposes some of super important parameters for how the the, the 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 model actually behaves with your prompts. I think that's a big part of it. So, like if, to compare it like to Mid Journey, I think Mid Journey is good out of the box. It's kind of like a, it feels like an automatic mode on a camera. But <laughs> once you once you get to to the manual mode and you you learn yeah. about all the parameters, you can actually unlock a, a lot more power. That's the best way to put it. Like that's super well put. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, makes sense now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys. <laughs> For context to our audience, we actually said to Miguel, "Don't say it's amazing." Every time <gasps> fail, stop. We <laughs> <laughs> just did it once again. <laughs> I think it's built in me. <laughs> but that one was a nice one. Yeah. Yeah. It was, this was an amazing comment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, All right, perfect. Um, so we are going to talk about an artist today. Yeah, really, really cool artist. Yeah, um, Dreamland. 
Yeah, chaos in Dreamland. Chaos in Dreamland. Chaos Absolutely. in Dreamland. Oh, very Ooh. different. Very <laughs> different. <laughs> uh, okay, cool. Phil, do you want to start some thoughts on it? Uh, perhaps some introduction around uh, how you think the art looks? Uh, what's your digital artist expert take on this thing? Well, where, w when you look at the... I'm going to show it on, on, on stream, by the way, so you can follow if you're watching on, on YouTube. But uh, when you look at the entire feed... It feels like someone encountered an AI, which in this case is Midjourney, and like fell in love with it in some ways. Like they start, you can see at the beginning of the feed they start using it, and there's some some really AI esque images. Like there's a kind of a look to Midjourney images when you're just like prompted with less intention. Not that there there wasn't in this case, but the images kind of feel like they they came from an AI. So there's that, that these organic shapes, these weird things, these weird artifacts that when you see you 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 can basically identify that these came from an AI. But 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 but, 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 but. when you go like <laughs> closer to to today and for the rest of the feed like the image gets like super refined and they look they, they look fantastic. And actually this person it comes from the, the the movie industry and I think it it totally makes sense that that the that this is the case because the image looked like super cinematic. The the light the, the lighting in these is just amazing for like the indoors and the outdoor scenes. The the lighting is just on point. It's a, you know there's there's some amazing stuff on there. If you have a look, I, I think you're gonna gonna see some some crazy stuff. Like yeah. Fel is amazed. Fel yeah, is I'm amazed. I'm amazed. <laughs> <laughs> but I think he's is 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 bang on. Um, like the first set of images. I agree, like they're more AI-esque. But at the end, uh, not at the end, like you can really see it after the first kind of 10, yeah, yeah. 12 yeah. images, like the A, the others, it seems like they all come from the same universe. Those are people and images that you feel fit within a broader kind of cinematic universe. And actually, interesting point, which I think really ties into what Fell was saying, is people are always asking the creator are those, you know, drawings or yeah. real models? Yeah. Like yeah, people yeah. can't can't understand that this is actually all prompted by AI. Uh, and she gets that question, you know, again and again. And she's always, you know, kind of, yeah, yeah this is like yeah. fully I feel AI like in the, the latest ones, it's actually impossible for me to tell. And it makes me think about an exercise we did back in 3D school. Our teacher put side to side the 3D renders and actual photographs. And I don't remember the 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 result, but uh, we were clueless. The class was clueless. We couldn't uh, we couldn't decipher between the three D render and the the photograph. And in this case, oh, it's yeah. the, it's this we couldn't we couldn't tell before Unreal Five. <laughs> that, that was it two years ago, and it was render renders from like a few render engines. I think we didn't even know where it came from. But now it's the same thing all over again. But it's actually AI, and I cannot tell the the difference. It's like most of the comments are talking about that. Like I yeah. remember one comment. Um, of somebody uh, asking, like, I was about to look for this actress online and <laughs> which movies yeah. she she starred because I couldn't tell that it was. Yeah. That's AI. interesting because like the the entire piece like speaks this you know eighties nineties vibe yeah. and aesthetic and maybe when you dive into like what the 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 AI was trained on and basically what what it allows someone to do like you can actually direct your art with the these eras almost like a, it's kind of nuts that you can now create this this art with like just a you know you just need to include what you what you want so the, the mm -hmm. eras which is defined by like you know so much so much work in in these, uh, Phil, these years I'm, I'm curious to know like does it inspire you uh well in my work you know i didn't really dive into like these eras like uh, you know my art actually came from comes from my imagination and my style is not defined by these eras it's more defined by you know what i can get out of the, the render engine I, I would use the render engine i would use so yeah it it does inspire me in the sense that you know i see so many opportunities and possibilities and mm -hmm. makes me think that you know now i can actually build like some projects at scale i have a question on your own style phil um like in the intro uh, we kind of intro you as a digital artist, but we like to joke about, you know, your mad hacker scientist <laughs> kind of origins. And it's true that you're kind of a hacker in a certain sense. Like you're always trying to hack your way through things, whether it's the way you eat, the way you actually build stuff, the way you kind of patch softwares that have nothing to do together to kind of create something. 
but when you, I, I saw you, you know, build stuff uh, in three D world, right? And it seems like you're always attracted to this idea of optimizing mm. something, like creating a complex world and making it as light as possible. Yeah. And when you, when you're saying that the creative process for you starts with like the rendering engine, does it mean that you're less inspired personally uh, in your own style by an, a specific era and even a specific visual and more inspired by where can you push the machine to actually create something almost like the technical limitation aspect of it? Is, is that it or am I off? Well, I think part of it, yes. Like uh, It's true that my, I'm always inspired to do more with less. I think that's the, like the nature of, of optimization that I'm actually trying to abort on many aspects of my life and in my art so i think yeah I, i think like the it's not about the the limitations in, in a sense it's more about what i can remove like what i don't need i like like a, i like to go bare bone like a, really use the the least amount of resources to to get to the result i'm, I'm going for and i think that's maybe is true for the like my latest work but wasn't true really with my photograph photography or for for the photoshop stuff but in 3d it's true that uh, i think being able to do something with a as little resources has been a big inspiration and kind of ties in well with the the ai right now like i don't even need the if i want i can use cloud base and render like amazing stuff even for like a you know i can use a render farm and render a cg movie if i if i had the the, the projects to do it but uh, yeah there's I, something with artists like You know, artisanship, craftsmanship, uh, <laughs> where you have machines, you can build stuff with machines, but you decide to build it with your hands. Like they like complicating their own life. I, was like, I, I like to do more with less, but why don't you take a lot and do more? I think the complexity is a part of the process. Yeah, but it's also a, it, it can be like a, a The complexity can be a limitation. I think with one of my latest projects with the Shindo 3D, like I, I remove my the option to use color in, in yeah. my work because prior to that I would always get lost in like the color grading and like yeah. like I, I was frustrated because these colors didn't work and I I don't know it felt like it was limiting me so I just yeah. told myself all right for this project no color I just use plain plain white or like 50% gray for my shaders yeah. and all the the the, the look or the The, the visual aspect of it was achieved with, with lighting. So it, it forced me to to do, use only lighting to to get the look I was going for, which was a super nice experiment. experiment. And I, that's so interesting. I do believe that complexity makes art even better. I remember when I started making music, I was 12 years old and we, like I grew up in France. So we were living in this very old building and underneath, you know, my, my level, there was um, like professionals working during the day. And, uh, you know, when I, I didn't, have class i would sing and they would complain so much to my mom about the noise they would, they would be like we're so annoyed yeah yeah they would like because they're french man <laughs> they were like he's always singing so i developed a voice that is much softer that ended up being the voice that i used to sing so it's to show you how much sometimes your restrictions in your environment allow you to develop new possibilities um Going back to chaos in dreamland and this amazing art that this amazing creator has been building. Um, so we've talked about the fact that we see an evolution in the way things uh, are rendered when you go through the feed of all the images uh, this artist has been creating. Um, we've talked about how all of these pieces seem to fit within the same universe up to a point where it's more than just images and art it's it's a universe and a full storyline that's kind of emerging from it um diving into the work kind of made by this creator uh, people actually asked you know all, all are all these images kind of related is there a broader story coming out of it you know pretty much like visual dome which we talked about last week which really felt within a universe so there was a map there were characters there were a storyline in this case uh, the creator actually said you know for now those are just images uh you know inspired obviously from the same kind of artistic direction, but there's no overarching kind of storyline around them. Uh, and she asked, she asked, uh, and I'm saying she because I'm pretty sure she's a girl. 
Um, I love I, that how much every week we come with like <laughs> guests guesses, about the creators, yeah, well, right? Well, we haven't talked to them. <laughs> Who are uh, they? <laughs> Tell me. My um, intuition that she's a girl is coming from the fact that I saw hands from a picture she took with a print and I'm pretty sure those were women's hands. If those are men's hands, Apologies. <laughs> My vision is plus 11 of... Uh, <laughs> so I, I don't have the best reliance on my eyes. Anyway, 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 going back to it. Um, pe people ask and, and, and this person said, uh, for now, they're unrelated. But what would you like me to do? Do you want me to create kind of short stories, a bigger storyline around them? Like what would people want? So I, I like the fact that the artist is actually kind of interacting with the audience and and trying to create, you know, kind of co collective uh, process around this creation. Um, and to me, uh, looking at this entire kind of universe of chaos in Dreamland, I mean, I could see how a thousand movies could be kind of inspired totally. from it. It's really an appealing universe. It's a universe where I would personally like to jump in and actually live in. Just for uh, a night or... <laughs> Just for a night, a few nights, I'd say one night every two weeks. Like the <laughs> character, the character are are just gorgeous and so beautiful. beautiful. Yeah. People are well dressed. People are the you hair, know, hair are the hair just so extravagant, uh, just yeah. extravagant and perfect. Like the style, people, people, every image of person, like big, you know, images of one individual. Uh, And now I'm I'm kind of talking for for myself here when I look at this universe, but I mean the woman actually characterized in these images are just stunning, and it's not just the render, it's not just you know the hairstyle, and it's like the entire emotion coming out of it. Chaos in Dreamland would be the proper tagline for the night that I would spend if I were to jump in that universe because. I mean, people, like, you, you, you feel such a deep backstory behind each image. Like, people come with a past. Okay, this is what I was, this is where I was trying to get to. Every image is kind of a snipping point in time, but you do feel extremely charged in each image that there is a huge background context behind it. Each image comes with like a whole lifetime behind it because the moment captured is so full of emotion. It's it's so well captured in context that chaos in dreamland, if I were to jump in that specific instant in that world, very darky, neon style, extravagant styles of people, very deep, profound, emotional looks something is going to come out mm -hmm. of it. There's going to be some chaos somewhere. <laughs> like, I, don't, what, I don't know what type of chaos. You know, it <laughs> might be good or bad chaos. <laughs> but, <laughs> but something's going to happen. You can't jump in one of these scenes and have a boring night. Like, it's going to be, it's gonna, something's going to happen. Yeah. Like, this is my feeling when I see that. I want to jump in and just see what's happening. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I'm really off. Do you see what I mean? I, we totally see what you mean, but everybody wants to know what would happen. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. just try yeah. to guess. I know. I want yeah. to know. I'm I looking at these uh, these grocery images, and I just want to do my groceries there now. <laughs> and also, like, yeah, I I feel it, it. It's true, man. You can you can really get immersed into like uh, into these because like each each post uh, are actually all in the same environment, so you can. You know, there's not just one image. You can actually scroll through the entire carousel. And then also this is an invitation to read the description because there's also like a, a really big writing piece to it. And mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of the time, actually on Instagram, you don't read the captions or the captions are not meant to be re read as a story. But now it, with this, it's it's actually super enjoyable to just jump the, in. And The artist is like, talented not only in image generation but it's actually like a multifaceted artist the writing is amazing super well done she, she the artist also created like playlists five different playlists uh, as you've kind of hinted to uh super 80s 90s inspired style of music david bowie uh, you know lots of different kind of artists into that uh very good choices i, I find the music fits really well with the visual yeah. universe created <laughs> and the writing actually adds a lot to all of these images so it's To me, this needs to evolve in a bigger 
thing. I mean, it's already a big thing. In a bigger trend, you mean? Well, a bigger trend because this is inspiring work. Like more artists with AI, you can create so much images. Now, once you've really hit the nail on the different type of prompt and your own kind of stylistic identity of that specific universe, we see the evolution. Even like in Chaos in Dreamland, from image number one to the latest one kind of being post, this is an artist that has really found a style and a way of creating a world that fits and sticks together. Um, when I see that, the feeling that I have is I want to jump into it. Uh, and so I hope, I hope this is going to expand uh, from what it is into something I want to see in a movie out of it. Mm -hmm. I want to, you know, I want to own the piece of that. And obviously like this artist is kind of selling, you know, prints, which, which is cool. And she's done super creative stuff. Uh, like, um, you know, asking people to send images of them to create like personas. Uh, but this is such an appealing universe. I'm, I'm, I'm following this account with extreme <laughs> attention because it's amazing. I mean, the, the, the depth and quality and appeal of this entire universe is just endless. So I'm yeah. curious to see where it goes. The, it started the progress like, it's made already. It's uh, curious to see where it goes. And if anyone is interested, uh, we're going to link it in the description, of course, but uh, you can find the the Spotify playlist and their, their prints and all that stuff uh, in the highlights on their profile. So yeah, strongly recommend looking at the playlist. AI art is kind of an abstract thing to say uh, because we used AI to create art for multiple decades now, even with movies, uh, CGI, you know, computer graphics, the way you can actually like, the way Hollywood has been building, you know, realistic images of people and, you know, changing the body of people so that they look more muscular as they appear in scenes. Like this is AI driven. So AI has been into art creation for a very long time. Okay, so... Like since like Joshua Benjo, shout out to Montreal, <laughs> has been like plugging computers in the lab to run, uh, you know, distributed uh, models uh, and parallelize some of the computing because this was too heavy for computers. Like some of the first things that were done were trying to create like, you know, cool art and cool visuals from like AI model. This were like some of the first kind of use case, right? Uh, obviously, AI is about, you know, recommendations and all these kind of things. So it's, it's a predictive kind of models. But we've been doing art with AI since the earliest kind of research and testing days. So it's multiple decades old. What I was trying mm -hmm. to say is AI used in advanced image generation uh, from text to image uh, this is relatively new. You know, stable diffusion mid-journey, uh, all these tools are less than three years old, um, you know, five years old max. Um, so it's young, right? This artist, I think it's a 2023 thing since the first image, if you check it up. Uh, even the playlist, I think the oldest playlist is like eight weeks old. Like, yeah, December 2022. So December 2022, right? So it's, it's, it's like super, uh, super recent as a phenomenon. Uh, but what's exciting to see, to me, is the fact that people can actually create a product that screams and say, I have an artistic identity. This is not just a model spinning up random images. What the creator behind Chaos and Dreamland has built, again, really has the fingerprints of an artist on it. it has an identity. This is not just random images put up by a model. What we're trying to, see, what we're starting to see, really, is that all this accusation around AI being kind of the artist and people behind AI not being artists themselves. To me, seeing things like this is a clear proof that this argument doesn't hold. This is art. This is art made by a person that has a clear creative vision that is proper to her own imagination. This has an identity. This is not just spit out by a machine. Interesting. Um, you mentioned something earlier. You talked about emotions. And I found it so interesting that we, we use the word emotion for, you know, something that has been uh, AI generated. Um, I, I get what you mean. 
Like I get the feeling of it all. But I'm curious to have like Fel's perspective on this as an emotionless person. <laughs> <laughs> as the artist that you are. Um, would you agree with that? Man, that's a that's a tough one. It kind of yeah. ties into like the the whole uh, lawsuit part part of it. And yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. A, Maybe if you want to introduce that, do you feel comfortable? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I think, I think we can definitely talk go. about like the legal aspect of it. A quick note to thank our sponsor, Bloom, for making this show possible. Bloom is building a social commerce app that allows leading creators to design any products they want using a proprietary Gen AI powered tool. Designs that get the most traction on the app are sent to Prod in a highly vetted network of more than a thousand manufacturers working with brands like Nike, LVMH, Gucci, and Ralph Lauren. Bloom believes that creators, influencers, and artists should not merely be passive endorsers of other companies' products, but in Instead, active collaborators in the product development process. Social commerce has lost its authenticity and Bloom's mission is to bring it back by allowing creators to make real money along the way. Bloom is a venture capital-backed business supported by some of the world's best investors, having backed companies like Facebook, Etsy, Slack, and Dropbox. If you're a creator and have ideas of unique products you want to bring to life, reach out to the Bloom team on their Instagram page at letsbloom underscore art and help them build a future where tomorrow's largest brands are built by creators, not corporations. Uh, this lawsuit, which we're referring to, uh, is actually the lawsuit that was back in January, right? So this was a lawsuit created by three artists first. They uh, created that lawsuit. They've said, look, uh, companies behind MeJourney, Stability AI behind like Stable Diffusion, they've stole millions of artists' artwork to train their model. So it's been a lawsuit that started like that. Then on top of that, a few weeks later, in February, you had uh, Getty Images, which is a publicly traded company, which said Stability AI has been training its model on our images stock. So basically, for those who don't know Getty Images, they have tons of standardized image, not only images, but tags, very defined tags, uh, very refined like metadata around these images, which... Their product is exactly what you need to train an AI model. And so they've made a lawsuit as well, building on the artist lawsuits, uh, saying, you know, you've trained your model on our images without paying us the right. For each images that you stole, you need to pay us 150K, <laughs> which, which equals $1.8 trillion. This is what you owe us. Um, so there has been like lawsuits, right? Again, against these businesses, uh, and they've actually came back and said, look, you should dismiss all these accusations around us because these accusing parties, um, especially the first one with the artist, they don't have any proof. They failed to provide any images that prove that we've actually like used their art. They couldn't replicate an image you know, close enough. And so now this is where we stand. We don't know what's been the reaction of the court around this kind of claim from these companies. Uh, when it comes to Getty Images, uh, it's interesting to see that post this lawsuit, companies like NVIDIA, uh, with their uh, whole kind of generative uh, AI, you know, text-to-image dimension, uh, falling under the umbrella of Picasso, have actually stroke partnerships with Getty Image to train on their uh, image library. So they're trading very lightly and obviously making sure this doesn't happen to them. Uh, but yeah, that's the context. So in January, there was this lawsuit. In February, another lawsuit, both going in the sense that the data that has been used to train these models has been you know, stolen and infringed copyright. And what makes this a topic of actuality for the podcast today is that a few days ago, four days ago, the Japan government actually said AI models are not infringing any copyright uh, rules and law. So they've actually come out as a country uh, and, and said that, which is obviously a bold position. It's also a kind of a leading position because no country has taken such a strong stance as at this stage. So this news brings us this overall kind of debate. So, so I think this all context is kind of interesting to know for the audience. And now digital artists <laughs> fail. <laughs> The one and only. The one, <laughs> is it is it right or wrong? <laughs> uh, I think I have a good a good point for that. I, I think 
there's you can be right and wrong at multiple levels. So there, it can be about the actual data set if it was trained on, on copyrighted images, but it's also in how us, the users or the artists, use the, these tools and how we prompt them. So, you know, there's a difference, there's a difference between uh, prompting like a, a generic scene and actually using an artist's name or style inside the, the prompt. So I've, saw, I've seen a, a few prompts like, a, you know, with the Picasso in it or other like a great artist's names. And I feel like that is not the, the maybe not the best way to use the, the the AIs. Also, same thing if you do image prompting. You know, you can actually you can always start from from an image as a starting point. Where when you prompt AIs, I feel like it. You know, definitely don't use a copyrighted image when you use a, an image to do your prompt. Use your own image. You can even do a sketch. You know, you can take a piece of paper, uh, draw like a you know anything a slug or. A, a flower, take a picture with your phone, send that uh, to to the eye, and it's gonna it's gonna render something super cool. I think it, it's it's similar to also how uh, Nvidia Canvas works, where you can actually draw uh, with colors and stuff, and yeah, it, it, control it the image. Yeah, so I feel like there is multiple layers where you can have an ethical use of of these things. Interesting. Well, I think that's a great point. I mean, uh, Ghost Rider created an, an entire Drake album using Drake's <laughs> voice. <laughs> like the debates you might have. The most sophisticated, like conceptual debate around: Are you uh, breaking copyrights law? I mean, you're listening to a Drake album. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is clearly uh, branding someone else's Drake yeah. album too. You know, it's like. But I think he's trying to make a point. Like Ghost yeah, yeah, in sure, my mind, he's sure. trying to make for a point, which I sure. think is a. Obviously, I'm 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 kind of controversial here, but but I think it's an art. I think Ghost Rider is is doing art. Not only by the music in itself, but by the historical position he is taking in this entire thing. We are having a art crisis driven by a new emerging tech. And this creator is actually going all the way doing an album with one of the most known creators. So he's making a point. Like the, the fact that he's dropping that is an artistic gesture yeah. in and itself. It's pretty important to bring things yeah, forward I think, too. I think it's an important thing. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying like the music in itself is, I'm saying the ask of, yeah. the act of rebellion against like, and, and just like the caricature around around all of it. Obviously, this is this is a caricature. You know, the album has been taking out very quickly. Uh, it wasn't that quick, no? It took three, three weeks, no? Three weeks? It's pretty long, yeah. <laughs> Stayed up there. That's a long time for a Drake <laughs> album. Like... Probably millions of streams. Three weeks. Three weeks. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so on this entire topic, uh, I think you've said a few very interesting things, Phil. Uh, so you've said one part of it is the training data. Uh, so is it breaking like copyrights rule? Training data is one part. Uh, a second part is how do you actually use the thing? Um, do you use it to build your own art or are you actually asking the tool to use someone else's voice to create something? Uh, so that's that I think is a second very interesting part. A very overarching topic in this entire like copyright issue is can AI art be um, copyrighted content? Can you put copyright content on top of it? Like who has the ownership of this art created? This is, I think, one of the questions that's at the center of uh, the entire kind of debate. And then the last piece, which is very interesting for people to know, is the notion, legal notion of fair use. So in the U.S., you know, fair use uh, of an image, uh, which is actually the point you're kind of talking about saying, you know, someone using someone else's voice, uh, if it's copyrighted content, a judge needs to determine if it's fair use. And so fair use is based off of four kind of key criteria. The first one is purpose and character of the use. And so there's kind of two things falling into that. First is, does your use of the copyrighted art has any commercial nature? Are you trying to sell this thing or is it, you know, for non-profit, non-profit educational kind of purposes? And the second one is, are you transforming the art in a way that adds expression or meaning to the original work? And this is the aspect that is the most sensible with AI. 
are you creating something new? Are you denaturating the first art piece? And one example of that for people to kind of actually really see it in a clear form uh, is, you know, this famous statue uh, in Wall Street where you have this bull. Yeah. Uh, so this bull is for a bull market. It's the, you know, bull market is the description that you give to a market where prices only go up, a bull market, things are well, people are crushing it, companies are crushing it, people are making money, it's a bull market. Yeah. Okay, so there's this huge bull in Wall Street, everyone can see it, like this big statue. Mm -hmm. There was another artist that created a very cool piece of art that's basically a little girl standing, you know, with two arms on her hips, looking very proud. Yeah. She's called the fearless girl. Uh, that's a second piece of art, an amazing one. And this statue has actually been put near the bull, like right in front of it. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's been, uh, I'm not sure if there was a lawsuit, but there's definitely been complaint from the bull's artist saying, look, I've created a bull talking about the market and now you're putting a little girl in front of it. So my bull is not about market. It's kind of attacking a little girl. You've denaturated yeah. my yeah, work yeah. by placing this little girl. And the context for this little girl is very cool. Is you know, the upbringing of women in the workforce. So them, you know, being CEOs, having, you know, equal salaries and just like this uprising that we've all witnessed. There's already, you know, there's still a very long way to get to where we want to be. Uh, but this was, you know, a tribute to the, the progress that we've made and all the progress that still needs to be made. But still it's it denaturated the first artist like, like work. And so they've moved it. They've moved the fearless girl. So now you have the bull in one place, you have the fearless girl in another place. But this is a good example of transformative nature of additive art being added on top of a piece um, just to help people kind of visualize it. Then it's, uh, that was the first criteria. Second criteria, nature of the copyrighted work. Uh, this factor analyzes whether the work is more factual, which favors fair use, or more creative, which favors copyright owner. Amount of substan substantiality of the portion used in relation to the copyrighted work as a whole. Ah, yeah, so that's very an important point. If I'm using 90% of your copyrighted image and just adding like 10% of new things on top of it, I'm breaking you know, fair use. Then the last point is effect of the use upon the potential market for or value of the copyrighted work. Yeah. So am I going to you know, kill the market value of the art that you've built? Uh, am I changing that in any meaningful way? This is impacting fair use. So those are like the three dimensions that really fall into like copyrighted issues. Who owns the AI-generated art? What has been the data used in training? And how does that fit again fair, against fair use? So yeah, all in, around all these three kind of dimensions, when we look at the lawsuits again, all these providers, Midjourney, um, Stability AI, I mean, the problem sits in one of those three buckets usually. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen. Obviously, no one does. Uh, there's lawyers making a lot of money right now. Looking into that, especially with the amounts of money raised by these companies, you know, hundreds of millions. Um, so some lawyers are actually doing some very interesting work, but making lots of money around that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for, for context, by, uh, by the way, for our audience, I think that's interesting. You know, you all are being creators. Uh, obviously... Bloom as a company, we've talked to our lawyers uh, about like these different lawsuits, the implications on the work that we do, the ripple effect that might come to us as a business or users of these uh, technologies. And don't take this as formal legal advices. <laughs> I'm just sharing our own version of our internal discussions with our lawyers in our context, full disclaimer around everything that I'm going to say. But what they've told us is, as a user of this tool, user of MidJourney, user of Stable Diffusion, user of DALI, you shouldn't fear direct lawsuits from uh, any of these businesses because you're users of these tools, just like millions of other people. Uh, and if lawsuits happen, it's going to happen at the model level company, MidJourney, Stability AI. So they've actually reassured us uh, that we would not be liable as a company uh, directly. And um, again, this was a over the counter advice from us having a trusted relationship with our lawyers. So a pragmatic, let's say advice more than I am a lawyer. I'm trying to protect my, you know, at any cost, which some lawyers do. You know, luckily we have a good relationship yeah. with our own.
It's still yeah. a good insight. Yeah. yeah, it's a good insight for people to know. Like you can play around with Midjourney and you know, don't fear. You won't be prosecuted. Full disclaimer, this is what we've heard from people, you know, more informed than we are on the topic. So just interesting knowledge kind of being shared. But 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 going back to this entire situation, um I personally I mean this reminds me of the entire like situation with you know music remix back in the days yeah, and, and sampling just as sampling. well yeah yeah i mean you're a musician right it seems yeah, like we're sure. going through we're going through this entire thing all over again like yeah. the music industry people when the music started to move like online people were doing you know remix the brazilian musical culture like with this remix kind of culture was pretty big into that Uh, some of the lots of the same debates that we're having now around images seem like they've happened around music like 10 years ago. Totally. I think it's a part of evolution with the more we get technology, the more we have complex conversations. But this is exactly what I was thinking this entire during this entire conversation. We've been there, you know. So I think it's it's more about like coming up with regulation. They say like any new technology that that comes requires good regulation to be used uh, in a proper way. So. I mean, I don't have the answer, the magical answer over here, but it's all about regulation the same way we came up with regulation for sampling music. If you think about it, sampling music is very, very, very sensitive as a topic. You're literally using a part, like the most famous part of a song, and you're reusing it. But we found a way to um, to come up with a proper regulation around it where I think you need um, you need um, to get the approval um, from you know the, the group or the person who owns the music to use it. And then after that, you can reuse it. You have like certain rules around the way you use it. So I, I'm, I'm still confident that we're going to come up with uh, with some regulations. Yeah, even just like streaming back in the day when mm -hmm. Spotify came came to be with like Pirate Bay and that whole debate just for streaming music and music access being like online and, you know, just directly accessible. I'm not sure how it ties to the the AI images, but even then, you know, just the, the streaming part of it created a, a planetary debate. Yeah, like it's always like that. Every time there's a new platform allowing for the creation of content, like YouTube was full of stuff that needed to be taken down in oh. the early days. And they still do. <laughs> yeah, they still do, but yeah. they have like frameworks in place uh, to try to defend that. You know, Uber, major lawsuits against them, uh, obviously in the, in the early days. Airbnb had tons of issues as well with bad listing. I, I mean, I'm going broad in my examples right now, but the whole point I'm trying to say is in the early days of a disruptive technology kind of coming in big, you know, if you're trying to change the status quo, you're going to face challenges from people kind of, uh, you know, seeing wrong things in what you do. And I don't think those people are wrong. I think they are very positive contributors to setting up proper framework for us to operate in a, you know, uh, in a better kind of overall settings. Uh, so I, I just think it's part of the creative process. It's, uh, it's, we're all like super new, the, all this being said, you know, I'm, I'm being like very high level here, but at the end of the day, if model trained, you know, if companies train their models on, you know, private images, banks without paying for it, There are some real like legal implications, you know, coming into that, and 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 this is wrong. Like this is straight up wrong. Uh, it's not like a philosophical debate in that case. If you use other people, you know, copyrighted work without compensating them or informing you know of it, um, this is bad, right? Yeah, and for sure, in, in this entire debate, we also need to think about the artist's perspective. Well, if you allow me, I'm gonna look at you. <laughs> But like, so I still have this question of like why where these technologies created. I'm curious to have your take. Um, Fel, do you think that these technologies were created with the artist in mind? Or do you think it was more of a, a good business opportunity? Mm. It's a strong take that I'm <laughs> asking you. It's to. a strong take. Maybe what, what I can say is, I think it's it, it's all about uh, your intention at first. Like, do you want to extract value out of the what you generate with the eyes? Or just you just want to just want to create art. I saw a quote from an architect on, on YouTube. He says, uh, I use Midjourney to solve a problem I had before I went to Midjourney. So I think like, uh, yeah, 
yeah, just, you know, if you stay in the, in the surface and you just, you're just prompting AI just to try to make a quick buck and like build this uh, next gen, next gen company and, you know, like try to, to, to make it. Like if you just want to make money, of course, you're not going to, you know, might not get the best result, of course, because you don't spend the time. Plus it might not be like an ethical use of AI, but as long as, you know, you have a vision and you stick to it and you try to use the eyes in creative ways. I think we already see that, you know, if you just spend spend a few minutes and uh, do some prompting, you're going to get like basic results. And some of it is going to be, you know, quite, quite ugly. I disagree. Uh, you know, I, I think you're saying the incentive, your purpose when you use <coughs> AI is what makes it like good or bad. I think you could use these tools because you want to make money. It doesn't make you any worse than someone using them uh, to create nice art. I mean, what matters is that you respect the rules that you don't use, the work of other people, uh, you know, breaking copyrighted rules. Like, why you're actually using the tool for is very much up to you. Um, you know, we've just talked about chaos in Dreamland. Maybe she did all of that Because she wants to sell prints. Would that make her an unethical user of Midjourney? I don't think so. I mean, you don't know her story. Maybe she has like reasons for it. And it doesn't even matter. What matters is that you follow rules. Uh, and if you do follow rules, I don't care why you're doing it. Then I think your point is accurate when you're saying people doing it with a purpose of creating art are going to be at the end of the day, the greater masters of the tool because they are actually having a bigger purpose than just like monetary value. I think this is definitely an arguable point, but personally, I sit on your side. I agree. I agree. But I don't think your intention is what makes it ethical or not. I think those are two like different things. And I actually think your intention is private. It's yours. You own it and you have the right to have like the intention that you want. So that's uh, kind of my, my thought on intention behind kind of the use of, of this model. I think it's kind of a personal thing. Uh, but you asked something you know, interesting, Miguel. You said, uh, do you think the creators of these technologies had like a capitalistic, you know, money intention versus a creative one? I think if you look at the reality of it, the creators, as you call them, of these technologies are actually big teams of people. The people in these teams are mostly data scientists. Uh, and so I think when you look at the people having created these technologies, what they care about is actually technological advances. They think this is a very cool tech. They've been juggling with AI problems and AI functionalities and just cool things that AI can do for their whole life. Uh, they've been, you know, on just like our CTO, right? Um, I think they're building this thing because they, they think it's cool. So that's at the data scientist kind of level. Now, if you look at the management level of these companies, they've raised, you know, venture capital. So they obviously have capitalistic intentions, uh, Does that make them bad? Absolutely not. Because if you're, just look at OpenAI, right? OpenAI started as a nonprofit. Okay. It started as a, this is an initiative for the world. People are not thinking about the humanistic, humanistic implications of AGI becoming this very real thing. Uh, people were kind of laughing at OpenAI back in the days. You know, AGI, it's a hundred year in the future, maximum if it's ever going to happen. You know, fast forward like 10 years later and, Everyone's kind of talking about it, thinking it's right around the corner. John Carmack, you know, some of the best, you know, computer scientists in the world's history are actually like, you know, Elon Musk are, are actually saying this is before 2030. Like this is in the next few years, we're going to have like early signs of AGI. Uh, obviously a very kind of um, polarizing topic with different takes from very intelligent people. But my, my entire point is they started as a nonprofit, OpenAI, and then they moved as a capped profit company because they've said, It, it becomes very clear that if we want to achieve our mission, we're going to need to make money for us to be able to raise money, uh, to be able to power the kid. We use ChatGPT. Can you imagine the GPU cost of the entire infrastructure they're putting on? And if you're not making any money, you can't get there because you need to convince people to invest like in your business so that you have enough capital to create like very big things. 
So they have a capitalistic goal, stability AI. They've raised, I think, 200 millions. Uh, Midjourney, I'm not sure how much they've raised. But to raise capital, you need to turn around to investor and say, look, we're going to generate like returns. We're going to change the world. We're going to become a big company. Does that mean that you don't have any artistic or world humanity improving kind of inspirations? I really don't think so. I think the VC model is based on people wanting to change the world. And I think capitalistic kind of aspirations can very much like fall into that. Um, so I'm going to be standing here in face of you two <laughs> artists thinking that, <laughs> you know, wanting to make money is a bad thing. I don't think it is. I don't think one goes against the other. I think they goes, they go hand in hand. If you want a big, like build a big product that thousands of thousands of millions of people can use. Um, and yeah, so those are two different things. I think OpenAI is a great example of the proof point of you need the first part to be able to build the second part at scale. The only thing that I would respond to, to this <laughs> very ambitious take. No, I'm kidding, Joe. <laughs> um, it's um, still, I still believe that tech corporations have much more power on the market than artists do. So, you know, creator economy is like has been a struggle for artists forever. So I think that's the reason why regulations need to really take, think about that. If you think about it, like artists and I'm not, you know, I wouldn't say that I'm 100% sure, but like most of artists revenue when we did the research for Bloom, right, is from brand partnerships, right? So is it? No, man. Yeah. yeah. Like is you're it? It is. like you're a million percent right. Yeah. So you are an artist. You're both artists. Yeah. Okay. And you say, look, they've been training their data on my artwork. And then you decide to go in lawsuits against this company that has raised like $200 million. How long do you think you're going to stay? What do you think your weight is? Obviously, you're right. Like the battle is just, it's a very hard battle to, yeah. to, to, to undertake. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, the power balance is obviously like not tipped in the favor of creators so, in that entire battle. So at the end of the day, we have to adapt to new technologies. Um, yeah, we have. Otherwise, you're going to lose the league. No, you of need, no, 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 no. You need to stand for what you believe in. Yeah, we do, but like, don't you believe that artists need to pay attention to AI tools that are popping up? Because again, it's all about like depending of what are your intentions are. I'm coming back to this. Yeah, but like, okay, 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 okay. okay. The, the, sorry, this is like such we're over time, but I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I was listening to a pod, okay, where uh, it was an artist talking, and his message was clear. It was stay on top of tech become an AI master or you're going to get behind and you're going to lose the race. You're not going to be relevant as an artist. And he was making that point and I was hating it because my point, I don't think my point, like, the truth is, <laughs> the truth is, the truth is <laughs> being an artist and being a creator is not a race. Yeah, it's agree. not something that you win. It's something that you are. <laughs> you can't lose that. You are that. I agree. Uh, so you want to create a message. And if that message... Miguel, you're, you're going to record your album this this week. <laughs> yeah. You told us you're going to go in a forest to record your album for like a week going to different forest. Why? Because this is where your own personal sentiment as a creator is kind of driving you. This has nothing to do with tech. This has nothing You're to right. do with race yeah, and right. winning. This is just like your own personal sensibility. Mm -hmm. uh, so I don't yeah. think you need to stay on top of tech. I don't think you need to stay on yeah. top of AI. I don't think being relevant is even something that matters. I think being true to your creative inspiration is what matters. And then, you know, if you want to make a living out of your work... Yeah. That's another, another question. Yeah, like, I think this could be a topic for a next week's spot. Like, I have yeah. a million thoughts on it. Oh, uh, yeah. Like, making a living out of your art in this new kind of world. I think this could be, like, an interesting topic for another pod. But my, my own point is artists should not, like, let people tell them, if you're not staying, like, don't let fear rule how you are directing your art. Just be yourself. If you have an interest in tech, if you actually care about these things, if you're like geeky nature, but go ahead. Yeah. If not, do what you love. Like artistic, uh, artistic expression. I mean, I'm not the artist in here. <laughs> just for context, I am a martial artist. <laughs> 
Yeah, anyway. But yeah, I that's like, my uh, point. Don't let I people say that. I just don't, I hate this take. I like, uh, no, I kind of like your, your take. You know, like art stays uh, stays at the, the heart of it. And even with like all this uh, AI debate, like AI is just uh, another way of, of creating art. And even if it becomes like a super powerful and even more powerful than we can imagine, like, you know, it, it's, it very well might stay like just a, Another another artistic practice amongst all the mm-hmm. the amazing stuff that that gets created with the thousand percent photography or you know anything really potentially. Let me think about it. <laughs> no, okay. yeah, come back after <laughs> this week up. <laughs> yeah. no, thank you very much, guys, for um, your time today and this chat. That was so interesting. Yeah, it was amazing. I like the debate format. Yeah, I think going forward, every pod we record, we need to take three huya first, <laughs> and then we go. This is the recipe for success. Yes. okay thank you so much for listening um and uh, we will see you next week bye everyone